0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good morning. Today is Tuesday, November 26, 2013, and I'd like to welcome you to this special edition of Understanding the Law. I'm your host, Peter Lamont. I'm a business and personal law attorney, and the principal of the law offices of Peter J. Lamont. The firm has offices in New Jersey, New York, Colorado, Puerto Rico, and affiliated offices throughout the country. Understanding the Law is a weekly radio broadcast where we discuss a variety of legal topics that affect our listeners. Please note that this broadcast does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship with any of our listeners. As always, we welcome calls from our listeners, And if you'd like to talk about any of today's topics, or if you have a uh, different legal question, I invite you to call into our switchboard at 347-855-8831, and we'll take your questions on the air. Uh, Today is Tuesday, and our normal broadcast day is Thursday. uh, But due to the fact that Thanksgiving is this Thursday, we have a special edition today, so as to not interrupt anyone's turkey time on Thursday. So uh, we want to talk about some developments that have occurred this week, even though the week is uh, relatively young, being that it's only Tuesday. And then we're going to also introduce some uh, Thanksgiving and Black Friday-related topics, which are um, actually very interesting and can be helpful. So let's start with uh, one of the most recent stories, and this involves a uh, company company. Uh, by the name of 23 um, and Me, uh, this is very interesting. Uh, so here's the idea with this company. You may have seen it on the news, and I'm sure that you've seen a lot of the promos that some of the celebrities have cut. 23 and Me is a DNA home testing kit um, that is being billed by its developers. As being able to test for genetic defects in your in your health, um, disease in general, and then ancestry issues. So some of the commercials that are on right now talk about you know they'll have a woman who says, "I wouldn't have known that I was predisposed to breast cancer had it not been for this test." And um, if you go on the website, which is twenty three the number twenty three and me. Com. On the homepage, you'll see that that's how it's really being presented to the public. Reports on 240 health conditions and traits. Discover your lineage, find relatives, and more. Get updates on your DNA um, as science adv- advances. And it is a $99 product. And there's a, uh, a very interesting video on the site that explains how it works, and then they give you a whole host of customer stories, which obviously are all within that same vein about how great the product is. Um, there's a lot of, of talk about this particular website. Fast Company and the Today Show, CNN, Time Magazine, and Forbes have all reported on this, and, and you know all with, with relatively favorable comments. Now, here's how the whole thing works. So you go to their website, and you place your order. So you pay $99, and what you end up getting is a DNA kit from their online store. And when you get the kit, you register your specific barcode, and then it includes detailed instructions as to how you take a saliva sample and you um, you know swab your, your cheek, put it back in the... Prepaid packaging, and then you send it back to their lab, and then they analyze it. And then what they do is they give you um, a health and ancestry report on your personal homepage that they provide for you. Um, and really, as you as you delve deeper into the site, the promised health benefits—it's amazing. It talks about tracking your gluten. And know whether or not you've got celiac disease, um, which is, is genetic in nature. It, it's, it's kind of unbelievable. Well, as they say, if it is unbelievable and too good to believe, then there's a chance it might not be true. So today, uh, the FDA has ordered that this genetic testing firm, 23andMe, stop selling the DNA analysis service. And um, this this crackdown by the FDA is really uh, in light of the fact that they are marketing it as a health-related or diagnostic um, product. And this is very, very similar to a class action lawsuit that my firm was involved with a number of years ago, and it involved a company called uh, Baby Gender Mentor, and that was also the product name. So the way that this case played out, which is not going to be very dissimilar, I think, to this case with 23andMe, but the way that that our case played out was um, this doctor, and he wasn't a medical doctor, but he was a PhD. So um, doctor, his name was Wang. Dr. Wang had created this company out of... um, right outside of Boston, Massachusetts. And it was an online product that was marketed as an early pregnancy sex detection kit. And what it would allow women to do is to find out the sex of their fetus within a four to six week period, sometimes even sooner, after learning that they were pregnant. Now... Most people know that you're, you're well into your first trimester um, before they can determine the sex of the baby. I mean, that's something that uh, traditional medicine relies on ultrasound, even if it's 3D imaging, and uh, and sometimes um, you know a, a amniocentesis to to confirm sex of, of the baby. Well, Dr. Wang and his product, Baby gender mentor was a test kit very similar to 23 and needs genetic testing package. A woman would go on to the baby gender website, order the product. The product cost, I think it was around $250 and then there was a $25 lab processing fee. Now, Dr. Wang had on his packaging and on the site that all of the results were 99.9% accurate and that he was so convinced that his findings were accurate that there was a 200% money back guarantee. So not only if the product doesn't work, not only do you get your money back, but you double it. So what was going on was that um, he was on the Today Show. He was on Good Morning America. The product got a lot of, uh, of, of publicity and Positive feedback, very similar to this. I mean, we're talking about a, a very similar issue, more or less mirrored um, product and services. I do not know if the 23andMe has the sort of disclaimers or warranties that the baby gender mentor test did. Um, that would would you know require a little looking into uh, what they are saying on their site and the product itself, but. Going back to Dr. Wang, women were buying the product. They were taking the test. It was a blood test. You would, you know, poke your finger and you'd touch a strip, a test strip that they would provide. In three spots, you'd send it back and the lab would analyze it and then tell you the sex of your child. Now this was great because women would would go out and they'd do this test very early in their pregnancy And they would get the results, and they'd go home, and they'd spend tons of money decorating the nursery, buying clothes. And then later on in their pregnancy, either through amnio or an ultrasound, they'd learn that the boy that they thought they were having is now a girl. So this created, obviously, a lot of of problems. And the women would contact the lab, and they would say, all right, listen, you were wrong. I get it. Things happen. Uh, We'd like our money back and our 200% guarantee. Uh, So what was going on is that obviously this company didn't want to pay out all of the money that they're going to owe to all these women who they're wrong with. And if you think about it, the product had a 50-50 chance of success. It's either a boy or a girl. So long story short, Dr. Wang did not want to refund them. What he was telling the women was one of a few things. First thing was, you had a vanishing twin. So you actually did have a boy. You had a boy and a girl, but the boy died. In utero, it was a uh, a fetus that just didn't survive. And that's how he would explain that away. Um, Other times, he would do the unthinkable and tell these women that, yes, The test came back as a boy, and yes, the ultrasound or amnio says it's a girl. That's because the baby has trisomy, and it's a life-threatening genetic disorder that um, if you know anything about the the chromosomal defect, um, children suffer tremendously. It's a very, very uh, traumatic and life-threatening, most of the time life-ending, genetic disorder. And so you can imagine the horror when these women were, were learning from Dr. Wang that they had that their child had this genetic disorder. Long, long story short, he was just covering up for the fact that he was wrong and that his test was not scientifically proven and that even though testing, quote-unquote testing, was done and surveys done and analysis, there was no hard scientific data to support what he was saying that the product did so a class action lawsuit was filed and ultimately um, the case was successful the problem for the individual plaintiffs and the class itself is that the lab had no money and the business shut down and while uh, the case was successful in shutting down this this uh, snake oil salesman it, it didn't produce results for the women, and when, if you are thinking to yourself, well, you were just out the test kit with the big deal. A lot of these women actually had multiple amniocentesis testing, even beyond the um, the um, acceptance uh, of the request by their doctors, and they were so insistent, and then well, every time you have amnio, you put the fetus at risk, but Uh, Some of these women really suffered psychologically from from what he had done. So that case is extremely similar to the 23andMe case in the sense that there's no real scientific data. And I, I know the owners of the company, the creators of 23andMe will dispute this. But from what I have researched in the short time that this case has been out, I see no scientific data, hard scientific data, to support their notion that their testing can actually determine your your health um, prognosis in the future, what you are predetermined or pre, uh, pre-existing conditions that, that might not yet have manifested themselves based solely upon your DNA. And... Um, if you look at what the FDA is doing, FDA obviously regulates any sort of, of medical device or product. And that's what they're viewing this as they have uh, served a request on the company for all of their scientific data. And uh, the company has 15 days to respond to the FDA. Um, Now, basically what they are, are, are looking for is some sort of, conclusive data based upon significant testing to suggest that this personal genome service that they're offering, right, this genetic testing, has been through tests, scientific data has been compiled, and that with a, a great deal of, of certainty, the testing and the product results match up. You know that that the product is in fact capable of delivering such results. Um, now, they note, and this is this is interesting, that last year twenty three andMe uh, did contact the FDA and requested approval on the grounds that the test kit was a medical device, um, but the application was never fully processed, and, and it had ultimately lapsed, most likely because of the company, not because of the FDA. Uh, so it's, it's very interesting uh, to see where this is going to play out. But you can imagine this seems to be an even more serious situation, if you will, than the baby gender testing kit, because you are dealing with a smaller number of people, It was a a specific class. It was pregnant women. And overall, while you did have the extreme cases where where women had psychological issues or physical harm resulted from numerous uh, amniocentesis tests, et cetera, for the most part, these women were upset and out money that they may have spent to decorate a nursery or buy clothing prior to um, some sort of definitive answer about the sex of the baby, this 23andMe poses a, a more significant danger because if someone were to take a test, let's say it's a female, and the test results come back and say you are uh, genetically predisposed to breast cancer you know, with the heightened awareness of breast cancer and a lot of the preemptive measures that women take you could imagine women going out and, and having surgeries based solely upon the genetic testing. And you really can't blame someone for falling into the trap of believing this to be true. And, and again, I'm gonna reserve my final decision until we see how the company responds to the FDA's request. But, I, you know, I think I'm somewhat jaded because of my prior experience in the other class action. Um, I, I really would be surprised if they can produce the level of testing results that the FDA is going to, uh, going to be looking for. Um, but, again, I mean, you could see the serious impact of this test that it might have on, on individuals, And it might not be completely accurate. So, again, let's uh, follow this through and see where this plays out. And uh, once we come back next week from the Thanksgiving break, we'll look into this further and see whether or not the company has responded to the FDA request. Uh, If you've used the product, we would really love to hear from you um, and, and get your input as to what you think about the product, how it worked for you, what your results were, and uh, you know if you agree with the analysis that it could pose a potential serious hazard for individuals seeking to prevent cancers and other diseases, um, and it may or may not be correct. So uh, we'll post something up on our Facebook page, and I'd ask that uh, you know you you weigh in on that so that we can uh, broaden our discussion next time on this issue. All right, now a uh, little bit lighter note. I want to talk about a um, a case. It's referred to as the bikini emergency case. Um, it, it's a it's a funny case, although it had tragic results. So um, yeah, it's it's interesting at. At, le- at the very least it involved a female driver and a male passenger and um, the name of the case is Politer versus Lamb and uh, it was a, a 2011 case that has now uh, recently been decided it was decided uh, within the, the last few days and the issue here is that while the female driver was operating her vehicle. The passenger uh, reached over and the the female driver was wearing a bikini top and he pulled the strings and essentially undid her her bikini top and exposed her breasts and she responded by quickly trying to cover herself and in doing so, um, she was involved in an accident and and the accident involved uh fatalities so obviously that that part of the case is very very serious and and tragic because it resulted in um you know the death of of other motorists so what happened is the case went to trial uh on the state court level and uh ultimately was appealed at the appellate level, uh, the second department basically analyzed what had happened and agreed with lower court that the driver was faced with an emergency situation. So liability really shouldn't flow to her. And, And here's how this case in particular and this emergency doctrine essentially work. So uh, in general, operators of a motor vehicle have an absolute duty to operate their vehicle in a safe manner, to observe the conditions on the roadway, to keep their vehicle under control at all times. Uh, It's just the general duty owed to pedestrians and other drivers. Now, occasionally, things happen emergency situations with which you have no control over and you were up to the point of the emergency operating your vehicle in a safe and reasonable manner. An example would be you're driving down the highway, you are seatbelted, you're in your lane, you're maintaining your speed, and a deer jumps out in front of the car and you slam on your brakes. And when you slam on your brakes to avoid the deer, the vehicle behind you, Rear ends you, and you know there's a lawsuit, and typically there's 100% liability for a rear end collision on the rear ender, the car that hit you. Um, In that case, one of the parties, the the party that did the rear ending, would allege that it was an emergency doctrine, and that they weren't liable because there was an emergency. The deer jumped out, you you the driver slammed on your brakes, and therefore they were operating. As well, and there's no liability. In the bikini case, the appellate division concluded that when the bikini string was pulled, uh, the driver instinctively removed her hands from the steering wheel uh, to to cover herself, um, and that it, it was an emergency situation where it, it was rather sudden and, and unexpected. And, uh, you know, it's essentially alleviating the driver of any liability. It's interesting because the emergency doctrine, as far as I'm aware, has never been applied to something like this where, you know, it's like a wardrobe malfunction. Um, But ultimately she removes her hands from the wheels are from the wheel and and then caused the uh, the accident. But um, what's what's even more interesting is should the passenger be liable for what he did and and that's something that um, you know really wasn't addressed here because the case was against the driver of the vehicle, but. It's interesting to sort of think about whether or not he had any liability. Um, you know, what was the event of, of the driver covering herself after the bikini was pulled off foreseeable? Did the passenger owe a duty of care to the other drivers on the roadway? Um, did he breach that by doing what he did? And and was it foreseeable? Was it reasonably foreseeable? So if you look at the second um, division, uh, the uh, second department appellate division decision, at least with respect to the driver, they they seem to be suggesting that it's okay and, and reasonably understandable that she would move to cover herself once the bikini was removed. So can you take the next step and argue that the passenger should have known because it was reasonably foreseeable that someone who has their top removed would automatically go to cover themselves. So it's interesting um, to see or to think about how that would have played out had that been the issue. So, um, you know, I'd like to hear what what everyone else has to say and, and think about this. Do you think that the driver should have been held liable for the for the fatal crash? Do you think that the passenger should have been held liable? Um, and right now, there's a lot of, of hot topics arising out of automobile law. Um, automobile law really has been the same for quite some time, but now with the introduction of all the new electronic devices and the um you know obvious moving beyond simple cell phone technology now we 're into text messaging and um, things like that. there's been a lot of legislation in various states, including New Jersey, concerning uh, automobile laws and duties and responsibilities. Last time, we talked briefly about a new bill that was being introduced that would reverse what the New Jersey Appellate Division um, had created in a a case um, where a sender of a text message was held liable because the uh, texter knew that the person that he was texting was operating a vehicle. And so they really reached far, and they basically said that when you knowingly send a text message to somebody operating a vehicle. You can be liable, part, you know, partially liable for any damages. And, and now the state senators are, are looking into um, approving a bill that would uh, in, invalidate the holding of that case. And the bill would essentially uh, lay out that, you know, a, a texter cannot be liable. Um, there really looking to shift the burden on the operator of the vehicle saying if you get a text while you're driving don't look at it it's your responsibility your duty to uh, operate your vehicle in a safe manner and so it, it's it's really a hot area and then this this idea now with this bikini case of the emergency doctrine applying it's just uh it's just very interesting Uh, Also uh, interesting in the news today uh, is 10 former NHL, that's uh, National Hockey League players, have filed a class action lawsuit related to concussions. Uh, And this comes three months after the National Football League agreed to pay $765 million to settle lawsuits from thousands of former players. So this is uh, kind of a jump on the bandwagon. Um, lawsuit and it would be it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out you know what do you think about about this I mean do you think that someone who plays hockey and ends up with a concussion should have the right to sue the league um, I think that the, it's probably split because I I think that you know fans of hockey understand what hockey is, how it's played, and I think that if you look at the equipment, the helmets that a lot of the players wear, their chin straps are loose, the helmets routinely fall off, but is that a a defective condition of the helmet or is it a defective manner in which the user, the player of the helmet, the user of the helmet or the player is uh, making use of the helmet. I mean, clearly, if you have a football helmet and you don't have the chin straps secured, that helmet's going to pop off when you get hit. And, you know, what responsibility do NHL players have for their own safety? I mean, you see a lot of players who wear the plastic shield to prevent, you know, damage to, to their eyes or nose or face, and a lot of players wearing advanced, um, you know, type protective helmets that fit more securely, that have additional padding, and they're designed for additional safety, especially when uh, falling on the ice and hitting your head or colliding into, you know, one of the boards on the rink. Um, you know, what what responsibility do the players have? And, and is this something that uh, we think is acceptable as a society that Uh, You know, you go to a a hockey ring, right, and on the back of your ticket, there's that waiver about flying pucks, and we're not responsible if you get hit with a flying puck, so whether or not that's legally enforceable is a separate issue, but as a spectator, you know the risk. You're going to a a sporting event, a live sporting event, where pucks occasionally fly out of the ring, and the same with baseball and, and to a lesser degree football. Football, you just have to worry about the intoxicated fans in the upper rows. But, uh, you know, you you understand the risk. So if you as a spectator understand or are aware of the risk, shouldn't the players who have grown up playing this sport be aware of the potential dangers associated with a contact sport such as hockey? So I just throw that out there and I'd like to hear what everybody has to say about that. All right, now I want to talk about some Thanksgiving related topics. and obviously, while Thanksgiving is the big day, I think that uh, more and more people are even more excited about the the Friday after, which is Black Friday. And um, I, I think that from a consumer law standpoint, something has to be uh, said. For the deals that are offered, and the way that people are approaching Black Friday in general, I, I think that you could look at it as a very oh, it's great shopping day with a lot of uh, of sales, and um, you know, isn't that great? I think that if you really delve into it from more of a consumer protection standpoint, what you will find is that the deals that are being offered on Black Friday are not always as good as you think they are. Um, Separate from from the deals themselves are the hysteria, or is the hysteria that, that builds up out of the idea of Black Friday. You know, look, I happen to like going out and looking around on Black Friday and seeing if, you know, you can find something that's a deal. Um, But the idea of standing online the night before, you know, eight o'clock Thanksgiving to to, to stampede other people to get into the door isn't all that appealing, especially with the ability to shop online now and then the Cyber Monday sales that follow. But uh, getting back to the idea of Black Friday, I think that consumers are being fooled, misled um, by some of the hype that retailers build out of Black Friday. 10, 15 years ago, there was Black Friday, but it was not the, the fever pitch, the, the hype, the weeks of, of buildup to the pre-Black Friday sales. And I mean, if you look at this year in particular, There have been pre-Black Friday sales for three weeks now and all building up to this one day. And I think from a a retail consumer standpoint, what's gone on is that retailers have understood that they can motivate consumers to buy and really buy just about anything by leading up to this one big shopping day. And they're they're cashing in on you know the idea of Black Friday by having these pre-Black Friday sales and whatever. Really, what a lot of consumer analysts, including Consumer Reports and other um, consumer-related research groups, what they're basically saying is that. You know, it's it's caveat emptor, which everyone knows is buyer beware on Black Friday. Um, don't be fooled by the hype. You know, we've handled in our firm hundreds of consumer-related claims. And, you know, consumer-related claims, obviously, some people look at them and say, I, I don't understand it. It's not really that serious. But if you're the purchaser of a product and you spend your hard-earned money on it and you believe that it will do something that you expect it to do because that's the way it was advertised and presented, I think you have the right to be annoyed. I think you have the right to be frustrated by being duped by, obviously, a manufacturer and an advertising team and retail sales that push you towards a product when it might not be capable of doing what it's advertised to do. Go back to what we talked about at the top of the show, which is this 23andMe. If you buy this product and there is no scientific data to back up what they say it can do, don't you feel duped? Aren't you annoyed at the very least that you spent $100 of your hard-earned money on a product? That doesn't do what it says it's going to do, don't you have a potential consumer fraud claim? Well the answer to that is yes but but bringing it down a notch we're talking about Black Friday let's just say that that the consumer needs to be aware and focused on what they're doing because while Black Friday is great for retailers and Theoretically, the economy, what I don't like to see happen is I don't like to see consumers who work day in and day out end up being built uh, by retail establishments that make a scientific program out of Black Friday. I mean, months and months Of market research and analysis and psychological profiling essentially goes into preparation by retailers for Black Friday so what we've done is we've gone through all of uh, the very uh, popular consumer related websites we've gone through consumer reports Um, we've gone through Associated Press news articles and things, and we have compiled, based upon what these analysts have have gathered and reported on, 13 things that you should probably avoid buying on Black Friday. Obviously, this is not uh, necessarily scientific in its approach. If you asked our methodology, I would not be able to show it to you, but uh, it, it really is a um, a, progress, a process where we compiled all the data and, and here's basically what we found across the board. Uh, the first thing that, that we're told you shouldn't buy on Black Friday is toys. Uh, typically, prices on children's toys drop two weeks before Christmas. And, and analysts are saying that toy shopping on Black Friday is not a good idea and you're going to kick yourself when two weeks before Christmas, what you paid, you know, $20 for is now on sale for 10 Now, there's always a flip side to all of this, and I am aware of that. So I might as well call it out so that, uh, you know, we don't get angry Black Friday enthusiasts saying, you know, oh, yeah, but, yeah, but we know that if you don't move on certain products at an earlier, you know, time in the holiday season, they may be sold out. But we're not talking about being sold out. We're talking about prices and the retailer's um, you know, general scheme. I hate to use the word scheme, but that's what it is, to get consumers to purchase product. So number one is toys. Number two, game consoles without a bundled item. Um, analysts say that unless the video game system is bundled with games and controllers that you should not buy a console by itself because you can get a nearly 40% discount off of the manufacturer's suggested retail price if you buy a bundled item. Uh, Obviously, those of you who have not yet received through pre-order your Xbox One or PlayStation 4, the chance that you're going to be able to purchase that item is very slim Um, We've talked to a lot of people uh, in in consumer-related groups who have said that the product will not be back in in time for Christmas and that the limited quantities that do come in will, you know, be in and out the door before you know it. Um, From a consumer standpoint, I would also like to warn you about, the sale of the Xbox One and PlayStation 4 on sites like eBay, I have seen the price go up to $12,000 for the unit. And if you buy a product like that, you know, e- even at a more reasonable price of $800, let's say, uh, you're oftentimes buying from a seller who has pre-ordered the item himself. And with um, you know first day console launches there are typically a lot of bugs Um, I think that Amazon was reporting somewhere around 250 complaints after the first day concerning the Xbox One and it's inability to um, to play any of the game discs there is a a defect essentially with at least 250 units where the tray wasn't processing the disc properly, uh, rendering it unusable. And somebody who has pre-ordered from Amazon obviously can go and return that to Amazon. But you, if you purchase it from, uh, from an eBay seller and there's no return policy and it's not a store but an individual um, and you receive one of these consoles, you could just be out of luck, a lot of money. So keep that in mind. Uh, number three on the list is uh, brand name HDTVs. Uh, the best deals on, on brand-name TVs come at the end of the year, traditionally, uh, analysts say, and that a lot of the models that you'll find on Black Friday are um, – they refer to them as third-tier manufactured TVs. Not to say that it's not a good value per se, but you're not going to get a, uh, a top-of-the-line brand-new television at you know ridiculous Black Friday prices. That comes later towards the end of the year when the new models are introduced. Number four is digital SLR cameras. Um, Analysts say that Black Friday is just flooded with digital camera deals and that they're very aggressive with marketing these deals. Um, But really what's going on is that retailers are trying to uh, empty their inventory before the new 2014 models come out in February. So while you can get a good deal on an older camera if you're looking for brand new models February 2014 is really the time to look for for those cameras Number 5 is winter apparel okay winter apparel is still priced much higher right now according to analysts than it will be in January um so if obviously you need a jacket you need a jacket you 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 know <laughs> you have to buy it Um, But if you are looking to buy a jacket for um, as a second or third option or for next year or for whatever, um, this is not necessarily the best sale that you're going to see. Uh, Number six on the list is Christmas decorations. So there's this sense of urgency that retailers create with Black Friday you know, especially this year because uh, Thanksgiving comes later in November than it's, it's come in the past few years. So you have somewhat of a shorter time span between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And retailers capitalize on that by trying to push their holiday decorations. Um, obviously, the best, and we're talking again about the best time to buy, not necessarily when you need it or if it's going to be out of stock. The best time to buy Christmas decorations is obviously after Christmas. Most of them are 20 to 50% off, so keep that in mind. Number seven is exercise equipment. Um, exercise equipment is on sale in January. It's part of the whole retailer's um, desire to motivate people who are getting a fresh start in the new year to do so with a new treadmill or stair climber or whatever so January is the best time for that number eight on the list is uh, jewelry and watches Uh, according to analysts November December and February are jewelers prime selling months and that you should really try to avoid buying during that season because the jewelry can be priced higher especially at, at chain stores and independent jewelers so Um, You know, according to Reader's Digest, uh, and I don't know what sort of independent research Reader's Digest did, but according to Reader's Digest, uh, this is is something that should absolutely be avoided because you're going to overpay. Number nine on the list is the Apple iPad Mini 2 with Retina Display. Um, Right now, it's retailing somewhere around $399 for the 16 gig, and um, what... Analysts have said is that you're not going to see any real sales on, on an item like that. Oftentimes, big box stores like Target will throw in uh, an additional gift card if you make a, make the purchase. But what analysts are saying to do is to look towards the um, prior model, the iPad Mini without the Retina display, uh, because you can get the 16 gig for 299. And according to consumer reports, the difference between the iPad Mini with Retina Display versus the iPad Mini um, from a few months ago is minimal. Uh, so that's just something to keep in mind. And anybody who shops Apple products know that Apple doesn't really have massive sales on their products. So Number 10 on this year's list is the Kindle HDX. And... Um, <clears throat> Most analysts are saying that because Amazon has held their prices steady on Black Friday for their Kindles in the past, that you're really not going to uh, see it get any lower, and this is according to Fox Business News, uh, than $139 during this Black Friday holiday season. Number 11, bedding and blankets. Every everyone that we've looked at says that uh, bedding and blankets should not be purchased on Black Friday. That it's best to wait till January and February, where you can get deals up to almost eighty percent on uh, some of the products. Um, so that's interesting. Number twelve: wine and specialty foods, uh, fruit baskets and wine assortments. Clearly, uh, these prices are, are are marked up during this time of year. Uh, because that's the the thing that everybody does. You know, businesses send out gift baskets, individuals send bis- gift, gift baskets, and so you're definitely not going to find uh, any sort of discount there. And finally, number 13, uh, international airfare. So according to analysts, if you're looking to book a domestic uh, flight, there are deals available from Thanksgiving through Christmas, but if you're looking for an international destination, you're going to get a, a much better discount come January, um, according to Fox Business News. Frontier, JetBlue, Virgin America, and a couple other airlines offer discounts up to 50 percent once Christmas is over. Obviously, it's it's a huge travel season. We're uh, you know involved this week in one of the obvious busiest travel. days and weeks of the year, a lot of people uh, going uh, out of state or within the state, but driving to uh, Thanksgiving celebrations with families. So that is the list of what we've compiled of the top 13 things that you should avoid buying on Black Friday. Um, Take it with a grain of salt, and obviously once you're out there and you see the, the crowds and the the excitement and you know you've stepped over a few people to try to grab the TV off the top shelf maybe you're going to feel differently I don't know but uh, certainly keep that in mind uh, at least from a consumer standpoint we in, in uh, our consumer protection department of our firm hate to see consumers duped by uh, retail chains so it's uh, something to look out for Um, Also, I'd like to mention that we have our annual Coat Drive this year, uh, which again is uh, partnered with Jersey Cares underway. Uh, We'd like to thank all of those people who have already donated coats. Our um, Coat Drive will go through uh, February of 2014, and all of the coats donated are going to be distributed to needing Men, women, and children uh, throughout the state of New Jersey. Um, we've talked about it before. It really is a great uh, charitable organization that we've partnered with Jersey Cares, and and really the co-drive is a wonderful thing to do because um, you're directly impacting and and helping people within the state of New Jersey. Um, you know, here in the Northeast we have very cold winters. This past week has been extremely cold unseasonably cold and um, you know you've got to feel for those people that can't afford proper coats so um, you know it's easy to bring in a can of food to your kid's school um, and and have somebody else donate it somewhere you know that's great it it is a good thing to do but what we really like about the Co-Drive is that your coat will be worn by somebody who really needs to have, you know, a warm coat this year. And, you know, you're, you're essentially guaranteed of knowing that your donation is making an impact on somebody else's life this uh, this winter. So if you're in New Jersey and you want to come to our uh, Hawthorne office and drop off your donations, you'll receive a tax-deductible receipt, as well as a a mug and some other small tokens of appreciation. If you are out of state and you would like to send COATS to us, you can certainly do that. You'll also receive uh, a tax-deductible receipt. The address for either in-person or mail donations is uh, 623. Lafayette Avenue, Suite 2, Hawthorne, New Jersey, 07506. And it should be addressed to the law offices of Peter J. Lamont. Make sure that you include your name and address so that we can send you the tax-deductible receipt. If you would prefer to receive that via email, you can uh, include your email address and we will get that out to you. Uh, Again, we are doing the show today, Tuesday, because Thanksgiving falls on Thursday, so there will be no show this Thursday, Thanksgiving, and we will return next week on our regularly scheduled uh, Thursday, 10 o'clock Eastern time slot. Um, We are looking forward to some new guests in December. Uh, We're hoping to bring Cyril Wecht back. Uh, He is in the process of completing a new book uh, concerning the JFK murder. So uh, we hope to bring him back, and we have other guests lined up as well. Uh, Finally, I would just like to remind everybody that uh, we really all should be thankful this Thanksgiving uh, for our family and our friends I know that I personally am uh, very thankful for uh, my family and my my children and the joy that they bring me and for uh, you know my my colleagues and co-workers here at the farm and uh, we have a, a really great team in all of our offices but uh, I am you know directly um, working out of the New Jersey office 99% of the time, and, and so uh, I'm really happy to, uh, to have the team that we have here. I think that our clients benefit significantly from the amount of attention that uh, you know, our attorneys and staff provide, and um, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful for all of the positive feedback that we have received from our clients this year. Um, we must have received over, you know, 35 um, feedback forms from clients, all with outstanding and positive marks, and we're trying to put them up uh, on the website. Um, unfortunately, we oftentimes run out of time because we're, uh, you know, engaged in representation of our clients, and things like uh, putting up uh, positive reviews have to take a second seat. Um but, but we really do appreciate and are thankful for the clients that we've uh, met this year and the clients that we have continued to work with for uh, for over ten years now. And so, you know, I encourage everyone to really think about uh, what Thanksgiving is and to um, you know put aside all the thoughts of uh, of of shopping and Black Friday just for a minute. And to really contemplate what Thanksgiving means in the general sense, what it means to you, and think about um, you know how you can sort of uh, share your your thanks with people um, you know I, I hear my wife tell my kids all the time, "Sorry and thank you are just words it's really the actions that matter and uh, There really are no truer words than that. It is very easy to tell someone that you love them or that you're thankful for something that they do, um, but the real thanks comes from our actions, and we should really make an effort to uh, show the people that we care about that we are thankful for them, and we do appreciate their effort and their energy that uh, that they share with us day in and day out. And uh, you know, without getting too philosophical, you know, I really do think that we need to take this time of year, regardless of your religion, regardless of your beliefs, um, and just try to make an effort to be kind to one another in this season. We so often, uh, whether it's driven by retail or not, whether it's driven by the hype of the holidays or not, uh, we see a lot of people being kind, but we see more people being unkind, having no patience, um, road rage and shopping rage, and it really sort of, of, of devalues the message that the holiday season should have. And so just uh, I ask that you look at what the holidays are, what they mean to you, ways that you can show others that you are thankful and appreciative or sorry or or that you love them and, um, you know, think about ways too that you can extend that beyond your immediate family and friends, you know, to the general public. How can you make this holiday season a little bit uh, kinder? What can you do while, you know, you're, you're driving a car and somebody cuts you off? Is your immediate response to give them the finger or Do you think that that maybe you can sort of lead by example this holiday season and try to just bring a little peace and kindness uh, to Thanksgiving, to Hanukkah, to Christmas and uh, Kwanzaa and whatever it is that you celebrate? But um, let's let's all make an effort and see if it makes our lives a little bit happier and uh, if we see people being a little bit more uh, kind to us. So, uh, you yeah, know, thank you for for indulging me in, in uh, my my philosophical uh, you know musings. But uh, it's something that I think we we so overlook, and I think it really is created um, by retail and and the need to. Um, you know, purchase and give gifts. I think that the whole idea of giving gifts has really lost its meaning and message. Um, It's become more of a bargain hunt and something that you must do instead of something that you want to do. So I'd like to uh, conclude today. I'd like to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving and a very uh, safe Black Friday. Uh, So thank you again for joining me today. We'll be back next week, next Thursday, with more legal and business news. If you have any questions or wish to discuss a legal issue with us, you can call our office directly at 973-949-3770, or you can send us an email at info, that's I-N-F-O, at PeterLamontESQ.com. Until next time, thank you for joining us, and remember that there's power in understanding the law.